Lesser Light by Matthew Draper Chapter 21 I arrived in Edinburgh exhausted but alive. The city was a labyrinth of steps, stairs, alleyways and side streets. Black and grey buildings filled the skyline above me as I attempted to find the hotel Christine and Jeremy had chosen, walking distance from the train station, for the ceremony and the reception tomorrow on New Year's Eve. An imposing facade opened into a bright reception lobby filled with the warmth and glow of a thousand fairy lights wrapped around possibly fake marble pillars. Comfortable chairs were loaded with red and green plush cushions. Miniature Christmas trees decorated the polished reception desks. I spotted Jeremy across the lobby, helping his dad and brothers get checked in at reception. Following tradition, Christine and most of her family would stay at her parents' home separately and join the rest of us here tomorrow morning as music swelled, welcoming her into the next stage of their relationship journey. Jeremy and the lads were all booked in for a meal at the hotel tonight, while Christine went out with the girls. We did not usually split our group so arbitrarily along gender lines, but some expectations stood the test of time. I need to talk to you. Maybe a congratulations or an are you nervous to get married would have been a better opener, but it had been quite a week. Jeremy, arms loaded with leather suitcases, studied me in a flash of guilt, which smoothed into sympathy within the lines of his gentle face. I must have looked as much a mess as I felt. He gave a half-wave, half-shrug, half-heave of the luggage towards the onslaught of family and friends appearing around us in the hotel reception, and promised we would talk later as he hurried away. I was disappointed not to be able to speak to him right away, but this would give me a bit more time to sort my mind out, so I could stop myself from totally unloading all over his calm personality with my erratic rants about angels, Sebastian, the wedding and everyone at it being in sudden danger. Being presented with the illusion of danger and unable to respond can leave your body battered, overfilled with energy and panic response, but without the catharsis of running away or going into battle. I had once read a study that when a rat is frightened, a science rat under scientific conditions apparently, it may freeze motionless in the moment, but later you can see it lay on its side, legs pumping. This action carries the energy of fear out of the body. Trapped without resolution, the unfocused energy keeps on cycling. Getting to my own hotel room and flopping onto the bed, I felt both over-caffeinated and exhausted at the same time. I would be stuck in an energy exhaustion loop until the mystery was solved and Sebastian stopped. Whoever had started me on this journey had a lot to answer for. I remembered Christmas morning, the angel figurine falling. I thought about calling Dylan, trying to make up for the way I had stormed off the train, but our conversation was still too fresh. What would I even say? 
I've always loved you too? It sounded empty now. By never saying it aloud, I had kept myself protected from loss. In Rocco, I felt safe. For him, relationships are simple. You hold hands, you take care of one another, you fall asleep beside the radiator warmth of the other. Our love was a very small, protective bubble in a very big world. To admit my love for Rocco, another kind of love, would have to face the other loves I'd lost. My family, friends at St. Michael's, even my once deep connection with God. I shuddered at the thought of exposing my heart like that. Checking the time, I headed back into town to find a change of clothes before Jeremy's bachelor party tonight. In the changing rooms at H&M, I stood in front of a full-length mirror in a plain white t-shirt, a blazer patterned with green triangles and light blue jeans. I felt comfortable as myself. Dylan would have been pleased with my decision-making. I did deserve something nice which made me feel seen. Back at the hotel complex, Jeremy had rented out a private dining space with a dartboard, snooker table and jukebox. As two of his friends argued whether to play Christmas songs or rock ballads, why not a Christmas rock ballad, The Darkness? I tried to get a moment alone with the groom. He bubbled between friends and family, accepting their congratulations, slaps on the back, jokes and, honestly patriarchal, comments on future married life. I didn't want to dampen the mood, so focused on the buffet of Christmas-themed snacks instead. I piled my plate with mini Yorkshire puddings, pigs in blankets, turkey and cranberry sandwiches, and chunky bread-and-butter pudding slices. If I was trapped here, I might as well eat. As I tucked a breadstick behind my ear and balanced a glass of Coca-Cola in one hand and plate in the other, I spotted Dylan sneaking quietly. It was unlike him to not be in the centre of the party. I wasn't sure if he felt as sheepish as I did or was being polite by trying to give me space. When he passed me beside the buffet, he whispered, Nice suit, by the way. But before I could chase him down and apologise for earlier, Guys, guys! Jeremy tried to silence our little group. His soft-spoken demeanour did not lend itself to announcements. He attempted to quieten the room by tapping a spoon against his bottle of Corona. Oi! shouted a burly man I recognised as his dad doing the job for him. Thank you, Pops. Jeremy stood up on a chair so everyone could see him. Thank you so much for coming. I know my fiancé is making the same announcement at her bridal shower tonight. I appreciate you have all come here to celebrate to becoming one. Jeremy made a cringe face at the corny wording. But we are actually going to be three. We are pregnant. A cheer erupted through the room as beer bottles were banged against tabletops and the lads raced up to start the round of congratulations once again, this time with new jokes about fatherhood. I stood alone, wondering. Bringing a baby into the world could be enough of a motivation to want to wrap up the past. I couldn't help but wonder if it was Christine who had sent me on this path. Had she been the one to send me the angel and files at Christmas? Was it a woman at the graveyard we had mistaken for a man?
It would make sense for her to want to make peace with the past, especially with Oscar before her wedding. I knew they had been dating not long before we lost him. Unable to move through the crowd of friends surrounding Jeremy, and having missed the moment to speak to Dylan, I sent a text to Christine. Where are you? Since most of us were equal friends with both halves of the couple, we had been given a choice whether to join the bachelor or bachelorette on the evening before the wedding. Gender expectations had prevailed on the most of the lads to link with Jeremy and the girls to connect with Christine, but I was comfortable enough to slip between the two. She sent me the address of an entertainment centre and I booked a taxi to take me across town. Numerous activities were located beneath one roof, including bowling, a few escape rooms, tumbling coins and claw machines stuffed with soft toys. In the entrance, Christine bounced up to me. A pink sash announced bride-to-be and a headband decorated with plastic penises, peni, on springs made it clear she was in the middle of a handu. You made it! Of course! I air-kissed both her cheeks and congratulated her on the wedding. And congratulations on the family! Christine raised her glass of orange juice in a cheers to herself. Six long months till I can have bubbly, but okay. She led me through to the others, who were waiting in line for an axe-throwing activity. Maybe if the boys had known the opportunity to sling wood and iron at targets was on offer at the hen, they would have abandoned Jeremy for Christine's event. After her turn aiming axes at a scoreboard painted with bright-coloured circles around a bullseye, the bride joined me at the side of the room, away from prying eyes, and I pinned her with my accusation. I can understand why you did it, I said abruptly, not wanting to carry the past into the future with your child, but you could have just asked me to look into St. Michael's instead of dragging everything up. Harry, what are you on about? The angel ornament, the financial files, visiting Oscar. Now I was with her and had seen her chucking axes, I was aware her athletic frame could easily have been the person running away and vaulting the gate at the graveyard. Everything else seemed to fit. Who else would want everything neatly tidied away before the wedding but her? Christine shook her head. She was holding back sudden tears, and I realised I had misjudged the situation completely. I never visit Oscar. Why would you bring him up now? Tonight, really? The night before my wedding? I felt guilty for mentioning him now. They had been dating secretly at St. Michael's, though it had not been much of a secret, as we had all picked up on it quickly enough. Maybe I should not have assumed she would be thinking about him before her wedding. Maybe moments of the past do not stick with everyone the way they stick to me, repeating all the time. I'm sorry, I thought, Harry, I'm having a good time. She hissed at me, despite not being able to have a drink. I don't need to talk about all this right now. If I hadn't told him I didn't want to see him that night. Her bottom lip quivered. But I did. We had just broken up. He had become consumed by something. I said I'd rather he didn't come to the meeting, because I didn't want to see him in that state. A sob started at the bottom of her lungs and worked its way up. I... I shouldn't have told him not to come. That's why he was late, why he was outside, not in with us. I... Lizzie was ordering a drink at the burger bar, 
beyond a few slot machines between us and her, but must have noticed the commotion of our conversation as she abandoned her drink and zoomed in on us. Let's get you another mocktail! She glared at me, hurrying Christine away, and peeking back to speak to me in a hushed tone. Can you not? Dylan already messaged me. He said to look out for you because you were in a bad mood. Hen parties aren't about dick straws. They're about making the bride feel amazing. And if you aren't doing that, this isn't your party right now. I wanted to tell her about Sebastian's unhinged obsession with recreating the night we lost Oscar, but maybe she was right. This wasn't the moment. Finding myself back out in the car park, I decided to walk back to the hotel, allowing both celebrations to continue without my imposition. I took out my mobile and called Dylan, who did not answer, and finally Rocco, who did. Are you having fun? he asked. He was planning to have an early night and set off first thing to get to the wedding on time. I'm trying to get them to listen, but no one is paying attention to the past, I said. Have you considered that they are focused on the future instead? Rocco suggested. And maybe you should be too. When I got back to the hotel, most of the guests had begun to drift off to bed and Jeremy was out front looking for me. I'm so sorry, he said as soon as he caught me, dragging me towards one of the comfy chairs in the hotel lobby. I didn't mean to ignore you all night. Are you okay? It has been a long week, I admitted. Slumped in my seat, I looked as tired as I felt, my face crumbling. I think I am partially responsible, Jeremy confessed. I knew you were the only one who would be able to put all the pieces together, but I think I royally fucked up in the expectations I put on you. Now it was my turn to be confused. Then it began to dawn on me. It was you! I sent you the angel. I hoped it would push you into asking the right questions. From what Dylan said, you, you have it all figured out, right? But why? As soon as I knew we were carrying a new life, I needed to know we had wrapped up everything from the past before we started again. I had been trying to find some evidence of what happened to us and found the financial records online. When I saw you at the pre-party, I realised you were the person who was closest to the centre of all this back then, and you would be the one to figure it all out now. I bought the angel the next day and dropped it at your Rocco's work on Christmas Eve, knowing it would get to you and spur you into action. I felt bad, and when I visited Oscar's grave on Boxing Day and saw you with Lizzie, I was a coward and ran away. I was worried you'd think I was a total freak, Focusing on the past when we should be looking at the future? I get it. I get it. So it was him. Having the answers helped me to feel less lost. And I could understand it. Being a father spurred you into protective mode. It was stupid. I should have just come to you. We've all done stupid things for the trauma we carry. There is not one rule. The way I treated Dylan. The way I literally stormed out on Rocco. I could feel other answers falling into place. We have got what it takes to end it, but we're going to have to work together. Lesser Light is an online event 
Head to lesserlight.blog to join in the comment section or share this story on Facebook, Twitter, Hive or your favourite social media platform. The Lesser Light paperback is available from lulu.com or other booksellers or you can download the ebook now. But remember, no spoilers until New Year's Day. The story is fictional, but if the elements about trauma, cults or recovery have affected you, you can find helplines at lesserlight.blog.